It happened on a night that I was the designated driver among my group of friends after a party. My friends were Michael, Eddie, and Daniela. We live in the country, so anytime we wanted to go to the bars or parties, we'd have to travel long distances. That's why it's such a big deal for one of us to be sober enough to drive. We were driving down the 513, which is an unlit highway littered with the occasional house or two, but mostly forest. The road leads to town where most of the bars are. This story takes place on the way back from town. Daniela started to cry that she had to piss really bad. I told her she'd have to wait a while longer, but not gonna lie, I started to get the urge as well. That mixed with the fact that Daniela was now screaming in her drunken fit, I figured why not pull over to the side of the road and just piss somewhere in the woods. Daniela got out first and disappeared into the crops on one side. I went to the opposite side of the road and slightly into the woods just because I'm the type of person who can't have people watching me piss. I finished first and got back in the car. Eddie and Michael were singing to the roaring rap music playing on the radio while I pretty much just sat there in silence, growing impatient. My two drunk friends didn't seem to find anything strange about the fact that Danielle had now been gone for five minutes, so I got back out to call her name. Michael has a much stronger voice than I, so when he screamed for her it would be impossible for her not to hear. But still, she didn't call back. I didn't want to go in those crops, but I kind of felt like I had to since she's my friend and I was the most aware at that moment. I forced Michael to come with since I was afraid to go in alone. Eddie stayed in the car, he was just too far gone at this point. With the flashlight from my glove box, Michael and I pushed our way through the thick, overgrown crops, walking in the only direction we could think to go, straight away from the car. Michael was calling Danielle's name while laughing his ass off. I could understand why he was finding it funny in his condition, but I just wanted to make sure she was alright and get home. Over the sounds of her own footsteps, brushing crops aside, and Michael's laughter, I heard something else in the near vicinity. I put my arm out to Michael's chest to halt him. Now all that could be heard was the night breeze blowing through the crops. What is it? Michael whispered, to which I responded, Shh! That. Michael called out Daniela's name again. I joined in, figuring it was just her trying to sneak up on us and scare us. And again, the footsteps stopped. So we walked a little deeper into the crops. That's when we came to a narrow clearing stretch. I don't know much about crops and farming or anything, but it seemed to be some little stretch for people to walk through. It was probably the width of two people, just enough to walk through. I looked to my left, as far down as the light would let me see, and then to the right. I could hear three footsteps, and then a couple crops pushed outward into the opening as somebody stepped into view. At first my light was only revealing their legs, so by default under the circumstances I assumed it was Michael. However, the light revealed it to be not Michael, but instead some random man who I'd never seen before. His facial features weren't clear enough to give a good description, but he didn't look friendly. I ran for it back in the only direction I remembered coming from. I guess I ran so fast that it only took me about 10 seconds to make it back to the car. Eddie was passed out in the car at this point, so I didn't bother trying to get help from him. I was honking the horn to get Michael's and hopefully Daniela's attention. 
The sight of that man just disturbed me. I didn't know if he owned this land or not. I continued to land the horn until finally, Michael came out of the crops dragging Daniela who seemed to be out cold. I got out to help him lift her back inside of the car and plop her on the seat. Michael pointed out the gash on her forehead as if she had been struck with a heavy sharp object. Michael seemed to be sobering up pretty quickly due to the situation. He advised I drive to the nearest hospital which was 10 minutes away. The drive there was not fun, it was full of panic and yelling. We brought Danielle in to have her wound treated as soon as possible. It was only then that Michael explains to the nurses, not me, that he saw some guy dragging her collapsed, unconscious body before fleeing deeper into the crops after noticing him. He never mentioned that in the car, but it made perfect sense now. That man in the crops with us that night did this. Daniela was awake after she got all stitched up, and she had no recollection of the entire night, from the moment we stepped into the party to the moment she got struck in the head. Twelve seventeen. according to the green clock shining bright from my car's dashboard. I still remember that number as I was driving home from the night shift at the pharmacy I worked at. Taking the highway at this hour is a little dangerous since there's no lights, usually no other cars at that hour, and commonly deer would walk out onto the road, and you wouldn't notice them until it'd be too late if they were in your direct path. That's why I always drive slow on it, 50 max. As the road curved to the left, a clear row of reflective lights appeared in the horizon, which I quickly realized was the reflective tape of a row of traffic cones, as well as a flashing blue light in the distance. In front of them seemed to be the reflective material on a safety vest. I was so confused trying to figure out what the hell this was about that it didn't even hit me that I should be slamming on the brakes until it was almost too late. The car came to a halting stop as the horrid screeching of my tires stopped and the man wearing the reflective vest started walking over to my car, arms out waving. I guess he was telling me not to move the car. As the man got closer, I could see what appeared to be a police uniform under the vest. He knocked on my window with the joint of his pointer finger, so I took that as lower your window. I rolled down the window, better revealing the man's face. To give a good description, he was black, about six foot, skinny, slight stubble, and a left earring. He was kind of young, I'd have to guess around 25. He spoke in a very low, non-commanding voice, especially for an officer. He said, License and registration, please. I paused for a second and asked if I did something wrong, because I definitely wasn't speeding. He paused as well and looked slightly to the left and then back at me. Sir, this is a sobriety checkpoint. He said in once again a very non-commanding voice. I asked why he would need my ID and registration then if I had not yet been suspected of anything. He leaned back from my car and asked me to step out of the vehicle to begin the test. I opened my door and stepped out. Immediately I noticed the cop towered over me in height. He took a roll of tape out from his vest pocket and laid it down onto the ground, stretching it to a length of about 15 feet. He told me to step on the end of the roll of tape and place my arms out to my sides as I walk across the tape in a straight line. I easily did it with no issues, with the cop directly behind me the whole time, uncomfortably close. When I got to the end of the roll of tape, 
I could more easily see that blue flashing light. It wasn't sitting on top of a police car, it was sitting on some older, small sedan. I looked back at him and asked to see his badge, and he just looked at me with the blankest stare. It started to sink in, and I literally mean that, because I felt like my heart was sinking. This guy wasn't a cop. He said something next that I couldn't quite distinguish at first, but as he got to his car, I assumed he said, I'll go get it one second. He was bent over into his car grabbing something. While he was distracted, I ran back to the car. He looked at me as I started the car and raised a gun up to me. It goes without saying, I put the pedal to the floor as the car jumped into an acceleration through the traffic cones. I saw the headlights of the guy's car go on as I was a few hundred feet away, but at that point, I was already going over 60, and there was no way he'd be catching me. I got off at the next exit, and as soon as there were street lights around, I turned off my car lights to draw less attention as I finished the drive to my house. I only wish I had a dash cam at the time so I could have gotten it on video. I swear it would have wound up on the news. I was taking a drive from Maine to Upper New York to spend the week with family. I left right after work around 5.30, so I didn't anticipate getting there until past 1 in the morning. I had the top to my Jeep Wrangler off so I could enjoy the hot weather. I was somewhere in Vermont well past midnight when the gas light flicked on and the car started beeping. Unfortunately, the gas gauge in the car was broken, so there was no way to gauge how much gas was left. I was told by my brother who drove the car the previous day that he filled it up to the top, but clearly he was either mistaken or lying because I had not used anywhere near a full tank's worth of gas. One of those blue service signs zoomed past. I could see a gas station symbol in one of the boxes. So I turned off that exit onto a desolate road, which surely led to some kind of civilization. I wouldn't be finding out anytime soon, however, because the car started jittering and bumping around a bit, making weird noises that didn't sound good at all. A few seconds later, the acceleration stopped, and the car came to a helpless halt. I couldn't believe it, but I actually ran out of gas. I hopped out of the car and got on the phone with AAA, telling them my exact location. They said they could have a guy out to me in at least 20 minutes. I was grateful, but at the same time annoyed that I'd be waiting now for at least 20 minutes. For about 15 minutes, I kind of just strolled around my car slowly, looking down at my phone, texting friends about the situation, and checking social medias. It was so quiet. No sounds of distant traffic, no passing cars, just the sound of crickets and other night creatures in the woods. Then, I heard something walking around in the woods. The footsteps were decently heavy, so I had a hunch it was a deer or something. But the possibility of it being a bear wasn't far-fetched, given that this was bear country. I walked around to the passenger side of the car now, where the woods were, and where the sounds were coming from, just in hopes of seeing a deer or some other harmless animal. Then, there were two clapping sounds. Like, it actually sounded like a person clapping their hands. I moved a little closer to listen for it again. This time it was three claps. I called out to the woods, hoping in some weird way that someone would answer. But after I did, the clapping didn't happen anymore. 
I just stood there waiting for something to happen, but it was just silence. So I got back in the car and just waited. I heard footsteps once again coming from the woods, coming in my direction. Then it just stopped. I looked outside and saw it. The head, peeking from behind a tree, just ahead. It almost looked lifeless. The eyes, they just looked so lifeless I couldn't even tell if they were looking at me or not. I was so focused on these details I didn't even think to scream at the horror of what I was witnessing. I cranked the windows up on both sides and turned off the headlights. However, hiding in the car didn't make me feel much safer since the entire top was off. Without the headlights on, there was complete darkness. I couldn't see two inches in front of me, yet I was surrounded by the night noises of the forest. I was ducking down below the dashboard, doors locked yet still completely exposed to the outside, praying not to hear any sudden sounds like footsteps. I felt a sinking feeling in my stomach, however, as I heard someone grab the car door handle. I tried my best not to move or make any noise. I was waiting for someone to start pounding at the glass or at the very least reach around the opening behind the front door to just unlock it. I was so exposed it wasn't even funny. And then, I felt a hand aggressively grab onto my back. I simply lost it and screamed at the top of my lungs but suddenly the hand released its grip on my shirt as light began to fill the area and the sound of a truck engine pulling up the road was music to my ears. I sat up and turned around to see the headlights of a AAA truck, but whoever was grabbing me was long gone already. I ran outside to greet the man who stepped out. He was a big dude in his 40s. I basically cried to him about what just happened, taking huge breaths in between each sentence. Something about his personality and presence was just calming and reassuring, however. He filled my car up with gas and we both went on our ways. Even though something about that man's aura just calmed me down, the memory of what happened that night is still haunting, and the image of that lifeless head peering around that tree is imprinted in my brain.
drink champagne on ice And she said We are all just prisoners here Of our own device And in the master's chambers They gathered for the feast They stab it with their steely knives But they just can't 